0: this phenomenon called Ripley's Believe It or Not. Some people have heard of Ripley's Believe It or Not, but a lot of people don't know it started as a newspaper article in 1918, uh, that long ago, and it was really just the coverage of fantastic feats in sports and also fantastic fails in sports. And so it, it was in the New York Globe and it, it ran for about a year, but it became so popular that people were starting to ask uh, the founder, Robert Ripley, to, to can you branch out from sports? Can you do other things? So he started expanding into non-sports things and it became, and he changed the name. 1919, it became Ripley's Believe It or Not. So it got so famous that he started to have like exhibits, museums around the, the country And it actually became a TV, eventually became a TV show. And some people are familiar with that as well. But it was all these weird things. It was like, you know, strange photographs, odd happenings. The guy with two heads, that type of stuff. Come see, come see, right? And people would come and they would go, that's not real. That's not true. That's impossible. But it was up to you to decide whether you believed it or not. Therefore, the name. Ripley's believe it or not. So, I got some good news and some bad news, and you can believe it or not. God is God, and you are not. God is God, I'm not. God is God, we're not. Nobody is God. God is God all by himself. God can do anything, we cannot we say we believe these things. So let's we're going to examine that today to see how much we believe that's true. Because we're always bombarded with if you set your mind to it what what do people say? If you set your mind to it you can do anything, right? So And we believe it. Our parents want us to believe that, but we, it's not true. It's just not true. I can't even, this is my right hand, this is my right elbow. Challenge me to touch my right elbow with my right hand. Pretty simple task to ask somebody to do, but virtually impossible for me to do. But we still have this attitude. If I set my mind to it, I can do anything. And we take that attitude into life. We take that attitude into our relationship with God. So being a dad, I'm used to cleaning up messes. That's just, you know, if you've ever had a child young enough to make a mess, you know you get to clean it up. Sometimes they make a mess while you're cleaning up. Dads, moms, you know about this. You get rid of, especially boys, changing a boy's diaper, right? I call it the fountain of youth. You guys know what I'm talking about, you parents. You're changing the boy's diaper, and all of a sudden, it's like, the diaper's dry, but then all of a sudden, the fountain of youth comes, like, while, while you're changing the diaper, right? Babies make messes unapologetically, right? They soil their diapers, and no regrets. But we have to clean it up, right? They can't do it themselves. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through seven, So interesting that you mentioned before the service, the fear of the Lord. This is the keynote uh, scripture this evening. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, probably, you could do a 10 to 12-week series just on that right there, right? But I'm just going to kind of use that verse as a jump off, as a theme, an overall theme for this message. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. Now, he's not saying that everything you understand, scrap it. I don't think that's what the author is saying. It's difficult to follow this scripture because... We tend to understand something, then act on it. We believe something, then we act on it. So it's not, it's just, that's our nature. So it's not that that we don't lean on anything that we understand, because sometimes God gives us understanding about certain things. But it's the fill in the blanks. It's the quiet, it's the part where we don't understand, and then we start filling in the blanks. When we start filling in the blanks, we're leaning to our own understanding. Because it's coming from here. It's not coming from God. Our task is to trust in him with all our heart. And when our consciousness starts filling in the blanks to acknowledge him in his ways, and he'll make our paths straight, he will direct our paths. It's difficult. It's difficult. And as I get older, it seems to be more difficult. Because I've been bombarded with more information than you guys have. Simply because I've been old, you know, been on the earth for maybe over 30 years, most of you, longer than you guys have. So I've been just all this information, information about the scriptures, information about life, you know, advice from people who I trust, their counsel. But as I get older, I need to learn not to lean on my own understanding, not to fill in the blanks. Because needless to say, there are very few instances when we have all the facts. And when we don't have all the facts, we speculate, we guess, we fill in the blanks. So here's the thing, though. If we know God knows everything, that he's all wise and he's able to do everything, he's all powerful. What is it that causes us not to consult him first in situations like that? That's the question that we have to answer for ourselves. Do we believe or not? Believe it or not. God knows everything. I don't. Right? We don't. And there are some things that are obvious. We can ask God in prayer like, Lord, I just want to be more like Jesus. Already in progress. Going to get the answer to that prayer. The answer is yes. Yes. Lord, I want to draw closer to you. Yes, granted, right? If you're doing your part, right? But there's some things that are not quite so obvious. What job should I take? Who should I marry? Should I get married, right? Where should I live? For those things, we tend to do it on autopilot. What we'll do is we'll search for a job, find the one we want, and ask God to give it to us, right? Right? We don't search for jobs, Set before the Lord and go, where do you want me to be? What do you want me to do in this situation? We just want Him to grant our wish. That's the job I want, God. Now I'm going to pray for this job. Does that sound like us? Sounds like me. You know, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe uh, I can preach this message to myself and at home as well when I get... <laughs> But I got proof because what will happen? People will tell you, oh, there's no jobs out there. I'm not able to find a job while simultaneously turning down jobs. Have you, have you ever known? That? I've done a job search. I've done that because there's something I want, and I'm looking for that. If I don't get it, there's no opportunities there. Well, there's opportunities there, but we haven't even looked to see what God has to say in the matter. We go to me. All right. John 15, 5 says this. I'm the vine. You're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Believe that or not. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Now some people will say, "Eh," you know, maybe he's just referring to bearing fruit there. But I can guarantee you this when Jesus says something, he said exactly what he meant to say when he said it. Right? And he would have said, If you want to bear fruit, don't separate yourself from me because you can't bear fruit without me. No, he said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if I can do nothing, then. Why am I relying on my abilities, my talents, my skills, my knowledge, my understanding to get me through situations in life, to get me to the other side, to be successful? Psalm 16.2. So we talked about can do nothing, right? Psalm 16.2 says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. So just to take a half inventory, because we're only halfway there on this. I can do nothing apart from Christ, and I have nothing apart from Christ. So if I can do nothing and I have nothing, so far this picture is not looking really good for me. Because I'm depending on me to get this situation taken care of, right? Do we believe that or not? Because I believe that, you know, I might have a good attitude, good manners, good looks. Many would disagree, right? But I don't truly know anything or have any of these things when put up against God's standard. The first verse that we looked at in Proverbs 3 told us to take the attitude as if we know nothing. Love that one. Do nothing, have nothing, know nothing. 30 seconds from now, nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody. God sees eternity in one moment in time. Just one moment in time, he sees it all. That's the kind of person I want to consult. The master of time. The one who is king of eternity. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. If I have the gift of prophecy... And know all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Now, this is a real confidence booster, right? This is this whole thing, do nothing, have nothing, know nothing, am nothing. This is really just getting your self-esteem, giving you that extra boost you need, right? Right? Building that that, that confidence of you can do it, right? So Paul is using hyperbole here. And hyperbole, let me give you the definition because you know I love definitions. Hyperbole is exaggerated statements or claims not meant to be taken literally. Okay, Exaggerated claims. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, will we ever have that? Will we ever have in this life know all mysteries and all knowledge? No. Whose property is that? Whose domain is that? That's God's. That's God's domain. All mysteries and all knowledge, right? So he's using hyperbole here. I'm giving it as an example. We know we won't ever comprehend those mysteries. All all mysteries and all knowledge. Even if God had given it to you. You know all, I could uh, uh, preach the entire Bible. I could preach... Heaven and earth smack dab together. Boom. But even if I don't have love, I'm nothing. I know a lot, but I don't have love. And how am I going to have love? That's agape, so so you won't doubt. How am I going to have agape love without Christ? Apart from Christ, I can't. Look, I'm having a hard enough time to have an agape love with Christ. Okay, you guys are quiet now. Am I, is is the spirit convicting you or are you just not with me at all? (laughs) Apart from Christ can do nothing, know nothing, have nothing, am nothing. So if you were to go to someone that you, you know, you were going to rely on them to do something for you and their qualifications were that they don't know anything, they don't have anything, how likely would you be to consult that person? Probably not, right? Probably, <laughs> no, I'll find somebody else. But we, we don't do that, right? We don't do that. We tend to just lean on our own. We understand, we know, we think, we believe we're the greatest. If I set my mind to it, I got enough information, I can go forward and just boom, I can do it, I can accomplish it. There's three reasons, I think, why we do that. Touch on them briefly. We talked about, Pastor Ruben talked about it in a, in a message series, how what destroys faith, pride is the one. The one. I mean, it's, it's our supreme confidence in the fact that we're able. We know, right? If you've ever had, uh, you know, I sometimes, so <laughs> sometimes I think we're so full of ourselves, why do we even have to eat? We're so full of ourselves, right? We can be blind to pride in our lives, too. Somebody, I mean, how many can gladly receive with humility somebody telling you, you're really proud? That's a tough one, right? It's a tough one to receive. Why? Because pride, right? Pride. It will not allow us to change or grow or admit that we're wrong. That's pride gets its roots in us and it's a it's it, it's a life learned to submit to the holy spirit over the process of time through our lives as he guides us to kill that pride and to submit to him proverbs 12:15 says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes but a person who listens to advice is wise now I could tell you going back, there's been times when people gave me advice, and it was good advice too. I just ignored it. Cause I thought I knew it was right. All the pieces were in place. Right? Numbers look good. I don't, you know, it's it's helping other people as well. So man, I'm just I think this is the right way to go. Against the advice of the person. Failed miserably, right? Had to come back, and then I had to do Cleanup, recovery, took time. So now this thing that I wanted now was further out for me. Going to take longer because of of not listening to wisdom, not listening to advice. Now I got more good news and bad news. Says if we're willing to listen to godly wisdom, we can get the direction we need. We can find the answer, the outlet, right? Just like if, if we're in a narrow, straight place, we can find the way without having to feel like we're going through a maze. God will direct our paths. But the bad news is Proverbs 21 too. Every person's way (laughs) is right in his own eyes. But the Lord examines the heart. See, the bad news is that, the good news is that the Lord examines your heart. Don't get me wrong, it's bad and good news. But the bad news is that everybody thinks they're right in their own eyes. So, it doesn't matter what translation you use either. So, for you Bible scholars out there, when it says every person, guess what it means? Latin, Aramaic, Hebrew, doesn't matter. Every person, every person, right? So, it's very hard, very hard for us to submit to someone else's wisdom, God's wisdom even. But the Lord, He examines our hearts. He knows if we're right or not. How are we right? Trusting in him, acknowledging him in all our ways, right? And that scripture said, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Our theme scripture, fear the Lord and depart from evil. One, you really can't have one without the other. (laughs) Departing from evil is a byproduct of fearing the Lord. You can love the Lord and easily sin. You love him, no fear Fear is just a healthy reverence. It's this, I don't want to displease my father because he's holy and he wants me to be holy. Not afraid that he's going to send lightning out of heaven, right? That's not fear that he's talking about here. So he knows our heart. He knows if we legitimately want to seek his will in a situation. Second thing usually keeps us from going to God first is hurry, rushing. We got deadlines. This thing has to be done by this date. The feeling that there's never enough time. I'm running out of time. Some people always seem to be in a rush. You know, some, they only got time to talk to you because they got something on, the, on the, their plate coming up right now. I got to go. They only got a second. I got to go. Right? Jesus probably had a full life. Probably had a full schedule. Didn't ever seem to be rushed. Never seemed to be hurried. I mean, I'm not suggesting he should be, you know, crafting a finely crafted rocking chair and then sitting the whole day just rocking in it and whittling away and whistling and, you know, just not doing anything. I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting, though, is that as important as his work was, he was never rushed. So I've been in the Old Testament a little bit, and so we're going to go to the New Testament as well. We see we're bouncing back and forth here in John, and I think it's in chapter 5. Say, don't think, no, it's Mark 5. Mark 5 A ruler of the synagogue named Jairus comes to Jesus. Now, this I had to place myself in this situation, I had to make myself be Jairus to kind of understand what he was going through in this situation. He comes to Jesus and says, my daughter is sick to the point of death. Could you please come and heal her? Jesus says, yes, goes with them. On the way, a woman who had a bleeding disorder is pressing in, trying to get to him through the crowd and everything, touches his garment. Because she said, if I just touch his garment, I'm going to be healed. I know it. I know it. So she touched his garment. He felt power go out of him. And he said, who touched me? The Bible says she came forward and told him the whole truth. Now, the Bible told us the whole truth about her situation. She had had this blood disorder for 12 years. Didn't get any better, although she had seen many doctors and they had tried many cures. And they just, she was probably like, Jesus, let me tell you, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. When this thing started, I tried to catch it early. I tried to catch it early. I had it, and I went to all these doctors, and they took all my money. Well, yeah, they're doctors. They took all my money, right? And I've never gotten better. But I knew if I, and Jairus is standing on the side like, can we pick this up? Can we speed this process up? Jesus, uh, I just told you my daughter was at the point of death. I mean, we know Jesus cared. Now, of course, he's not going to care more for the synagogue ruler's daughter than his daughter that is standing right there before him, right? But hey, this is a time sensitive issue We need you to we need you to come on while he's while Tyrus is standing there listening to this story, people from his household come and tell him, "Don't trouble Jesus anymore. your daughter has died." Then it would be like like I said putting myself in the position of Jairus, I would have been like, oh. And I would would have just been torn apart, right? I would have hit the ground, and I would have been like, oh, I can't believe it. Calm as a cucumber. Jesus said, listen, all you have to do is, and I'm going to hold that, because I want to read you a quote first before we talk about what Jesus' answer was to the people who brought that message. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother him anymore. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World. John Mark Comer, he was a pastor in Portland for 20 years. Do you think he knows the, the feeling of being rushed? Pushed? Challenged? Not enough time to do all the things uh, that he needed to do as a pastor of a big church. There he, at one point, he had over 90 team members, 90 helpers in his church, right? 90. And this was like leadership. This was, you know, then there was all the people that, that were in, under the leadership in the church. This is what he says. Hurry kills relationships. Love takes time. Hurry doesn't have it. It kills joy, gratitude, appreciation. People in a rush don't have time to enter the goodness of the moment. It kills wisdom. Wisdom is born in the quiet, the slow. Wisdom has its own pace. It makes you wait for it. Wait for the inner voice to come to the surface of your tempestuous mind. But not until waters of thought settle and calm. Hurry kills all that we hold dear. Spirituality, health, marriage, family, thoughtful work creativity generosity name your value hurry is a sociopathic predator loose in our society powerful words okay back to Jesus' response cuz I know you want you want to get to the end of the story so but overhearing what they said mark 5:36 says Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. What's he saying? Either you believe I can do it or I can't. Believe it or not. Don't fear. If you you believe, there's no fear there. It's not over if you believe, right? The command was twofold, fear not and believe but he still gave Jairus the choice. He still gave him the choice, believe it or not. Same thing, John 11. Uh, John 11:6. 6. Messengers came to Jesus about his good friend Lazarus. He was sick. Right? Urgent. And John 11:6 6 says... I love Lazarus. I'm going to drop everything I'm doing right now, and I'm going to get to him right away. Actually, no, that is not what it says. 11.6 <laughs> says, so when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So everybody even wondered about that? I wondered about that and wondered about that. I was like, why if you, hit- this is your friend, you know, his sisters and everything, and you guys are close. So why would you wait two more days? Well, the answer is he knows what he's going to do. Time does not matter to the master of time. Death does not matter to the master of death. Right? Our timetable cannot be inflicted upon God because God is eternal. Put yourself in the messenger's shoes for a moment. Uh, you're staying two more days. What, what, what you, don't you care at all of what's going on here? And this is your friend on top of that, right? So Bible scholars believe that it took about a day, day's journey to get to Jesus. So when they left, Lazarus was sick. They traveled a day. He waited two more days. And then it would have taken another day to go back. The Bible says Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. So we know at least probably Lazarus passed away shortly after they left because he was sick when they left. And Jesus on the way back said, Lazarus is dead. And everybody was like, well, great. Then like, <laughs> why do we even come here? Martha. I love Martha because Martha, was a, she was a get things done lady, right? She comes to Jesus in John eleven twenty five 25, and 26. Jesus tells her this, a monumental statement and a monumental question. Jesus said, through I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Monumental question. I mean, of course, it's, not, it's I am. It's another I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Wow. That's, that's mind-blowing enough. But he, if you, here's the one that I love. Everyone who lives and believes in me. Shall never die. Not just everyone who lives. Right. But and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do we do we believe this or not? Third thing that can keep us from trusting. Fear. Fear always propels you or paralyzes you. It'll freeze you, right, from doing the things that, you, you know, you're not sure. I don't know if I'm going to be successful in this. Ah, maybe I shouldn't try it. Or fear of, oh, God might not answer this prayer. Has any, I'm going to raise my hand. Has anybody thought that in your heart? The answer to this prayer might not be yes. Yeah, that's fair. It's like, I, okay, I'm afraid that God won't answer this prayer. Fear being disappointed. We have so many fears. And the first thing God's telling us is fear not. Fear not because fear crushes belief. Fear is like the enemy of belief. If I'm afraid, that means I don't believe because I don't believe he can do anything. God can do anything. How do I know this? Because Jairus' daughter lived. Lazarus lived. It's not over until God says it's over. And since he lives forever, it's it's never over for him. Is that right? Amen. Believe that. God used Isaiah to tell him the same thing. God used Isaiah to tell people, okay, you're in exile within Babylon. I understand that. Your fault. Right? But it's coming to an end. It's coming to an end. And I want to tell you. Keep yourselves from pride. keep yourselves from worshiping idols. Stay away from that. And believe. And in Isaiah 41:10, he says this: "Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will also help you. I will also uphold you with my righteous right hand." That's so encouraging. And you know what's encouraging about it? He could have just stopped it. I'll strengthen you. But what's encouraging is the also's. That's what what does something from my heart is the also's. I will strengthen you. I'll also help you because here, once I strengthen you now, I'm not strengthening you so that you can do it yourself. (laughs) I'm strengthening you so that as I'm helping you, you just stick with me. You just stay by my side. Do not separate yourself. Abide in me. Stay in with me, and I will help you. And I will also uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you believe this? See, because the reason why I ask that is because I'm not up here trying to convince you that God's able. That's not my job. It's not to persuade you that he answers prayer and that that's your choice to believe or not. Right? That's your choice. I hope that you will believe. And that's why I'm part of the reason why I'm up here is to, to help encourage you that you will believe. I hope that if you thought you believed and now you realize you didn't, that you'll get in the secret place with God and get real with him. Lord, I haven't believed. I thought I did. I heard people say how good you are. I've heard people say what you've done. But I've doubted when it came time for you to do it for me. Ah, I'm supposed to stop right there. Do you want me to stop? Okay. (laughs) I do have one more scripture for you. Wisdom is always crying out, right? Always crying out. But we need to heed the call of wisdom. We need to hear wisdom's call. We need to answer, listen, pay attention. I love what Pastor... Pastor Rubin was talking about this morning. Pay attention. Obey. Draw closer to him. Proverbs 1, 22 and 29, last scripture. How long, you naive ones, will you love simplistic thinking? And how long that's filling in the blanks, by the way. That's that's that kind of situation there. Simplistic thinking. And how long will scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Turn to my rebuke. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my advice and did not want my rebuke. Oh, my goodness. I will laugh at your disaster. That is totally uncharacteristic of what we're told God is, isn't it? It's like, we, we feel like we can do anything we want, God will forgive us. God will rescue us, right? No, I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm, and your disaster comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose what? Yeah. 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 We're more afraid of what people think. We're more afraid of missing the deadline. You know, we're more afraid of not not knowing the answer, right? Instead of fear of the Lord. Now I don't want to close on something that's so much of a doubter that everybody's like, Oh, I'm going to hell. No, it's just a lesson to us. It's a it's a it's a It's a a reminder, a correction, so to speak, a course correction. Remind us not to lean on our own understanding, to acknowledge him in all our ways. And the promise is that if we do that, he will direct our paths. He will make our paths straight. When we go through distress, anguish, anguish, right, disaster, when it comes upon us like a whirlwind, and it will, That's a hard fact to accept, but it will at some point or another. Would you rather have God's direction in that situation or would you rather have wisdom just mocking you? No answer. No way out. But he has promised he will if you seek him, right? If we go after him, don't trust in our own understanding, but love him enough, honor him enough, fear him enough, To go to him first, he will direct our paths. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Worship team, if you could come, I would be so grateful. Didn't the worship team do a good job? Such a blessing. I just want to sit in that for a moment. I just want to sit in there for a moment. You guys got a little time? The message is over, right? But, And, you know, sometimes they say that your attention span will only last as long as how comfortable your behind is in the seat. Hopefully you're not getting uncomfortable. Hopefully your behind is not too uncomfortable in the seat. But I want to kind of sit in there for a moment and just acknowledge him. Because he really is everything we need. And he really knows everything we need to know. And we, he really can do anything we need him to do. Doesn't mean you'll always get the answer yes. That's not what it means. What it means is, God, you won't be going to God asking for damage control. You won't be going to God asking, Lord, can you fix up my mess like a baby would? You know, it's like, I can't clean it up myself, so now, God, I need you. Daddy, I need you to clean it up for me, right? Not that he won't do it, but do we want to waste our time? Do we want to spin our wheels in this? And don't we want to grow to become more like Jesus? Amen.